Maria Zimmerman, Vice Chair of Regional Planning for APA's Regional and Intergovernmental Planning Division, and also Principal with MZ Strategies, a planning consulting firm based in Richmond, Virginia. I'm here today with Stephanie Gadigby of the United States Department of Transportation for a conversation about transportation's role to achieving community outcomes beyond just mobility. So hello, Stephanie. Great to have you here today with me. Hey, Maria. I'm so happy to be with you guys. So my career in practice focused on the intersection between planning, policy, place, and people. And through this, I've had the opportunity to help launch HUD Sustainable Communities Initiative back in 2010, have authored a number of publications on innovative planning practices, and currently am part of the Federal Transit Administration's Transit-Oriented Development Technical Assistance Team. And it's been great over the last few years uh, in building on the President's vision to create pathways of economic opportunity that we've had Secretary Fox really lay out a bold agenda focused on the role that transportation plays in transforming communities in the 21st century. And it's clear uh, for those of us who've been watching what's been coming out of DOT um, that his time as mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, has greatly informed his thinking and um, thinking about transportation, but also about transportation's role with cities, um, both at the federal level, but also how states and MPOs uh, interact and engage with cities and, and really can help to advance um, local priorities. And we know that transportation has a profound impact on cities. Obviously, um, it's the critical link that gets people to their jobs, uh, as well as education, health care, and, and other opportunities. Um, we know that hundreds of thousands of people are employed in transportation, whether, you know, operating and, and driving a bus or in the construction and management or finance of transportation. But we also know that highways and bridges and train tracks can uh, have a negative impact on communities. And we've seen where they have separated communities, have exacerbated low-income and racial disparities, uh, and in too many instances simply isolate people from opportunity. So it's been pretty remarkable the last few years. Stephanie, you and I have talked about this before. Um, I think Secretary Fox has brought this strong focus on social equity that we have not seen from past transportation secretaries and even from most public officials. Um, during his time at USDOT, he and you and others on the team have launched several initiatives that have really kind of been framed around transportation's role as a ladder to economic opportunity. And last week, uh, I joined with many others uh, on the online town hall meeting that Secretary Fox had to discuss the latest initiative, the Every Place Counts Design Challenge. So it's great to have you uh, with me today, Stephanie. I know you have been a key member of the team and have really um, played an important role in shaping the Every Place Counts Design Competition and a number of other of the Ladders of Opportunity programs. So. Um, maybe you can get us started by just telling us a little bit more about your own background and how you came to USDOT. So I'll turn it over to you, Stephanie. Thanks, Maria. And again, thank you to the American Planning Association for hosting today's conversation. I'm really excited about the work that we're doing here at the Department of Transportation, really taking on the President's larger commitment to advancing economic opportunity at every level. Uh, I serve as the Director of Strategic Initiatives um, and a Policy Advisor in the Office of the Secretary. Uh, Maria, as you shared, it's, it's been very fortunate for me to work for Secretary Fox, who also served as former Mayor of Charlotte and really understands firsthand the role that 
community planners play in advancing economic opportunity. He also really gets um, a lot of the challenges that local communities are facing each and every day. Uh, my personal experience and background has allowed me to serve at every level from both federal, local, and state, helping to support and transform local communities. I worked on the Hill for several years for the late Congressman Payne um, and really had a chance to really figure out ways to address some of the local challenges in funding um, and priority projects uh, for the Congressman for the state. And then later on, I served as Chief of Staff for the City of Orange, where we really tackled some really local challenges that honestly affect every community across America. Prior to joining the Department of Transportation, I had the great privilege of working at HUD and helping to support the Sandy Relief efforts um, in the region, really getting together a diverse group of stakeholders to really talk about the vision and advancing um, really how to transform and rebuild that area after Superstorm Sandy had hit the area. But today, I have the privilege of really talking about the work that we're doing here at the Department of Transportation um, and the Secretary's vision of really developing a 21st century transportation network that supports um, and provides connection and access for all. You know, I, I uh, knew you had spent time on the Hill and uh, with the city of Orange, but I didn't realize you'd also done a, a tour of duty over there at HUD. So. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new. And I was part of the Hurricane Sandy Rebuilding Task Force, and I had an opportunity to help shape the design challenge, which would help us really figure out some transformational ways to address resiliency. Um, and I, I've been able to take that experience of helping to develop various initiatives to really have local components be added into a vision for planning and policy directions. Oh, that's great. That makes a lot of sense, too, in, in just thinking about some of the stuff that's come out. So that's, that's uh, I think, always terrific when you hear these examples of people at the federal level who have had time working at different levels of government and then can think about how to make the federal programs work better because I think, um, you know, a lot of times we create programs and we don't really have the opportunity to do some of the fine-tuning. So that, that's super. Well, why don't we dig in a little bit deeper? Um, you know, as we were talking about, there have been several new initiatives that have come out and, you know, under this framework of ladders of opportunity, and I, I like to think of them as the different rungs on that ladder to opportunity, but um, can you tell us a little bit more about the Secretary's framework and thinking behind these and how they fit together? And, and I'm also curious, Stephanie, since um, they are pretty innovative, kind of what reactions you've been getting from Congress, from transportation uh, industry leaders as well as communities, whether positive or negative. So um, just, you know, really curious to hear about how they fit together and kind of what reactions you've had. Yeah, so what I will say is, look, the Department of Transportation really plays a critical role in connecting Americans and communities to economic opportunity. The transportation infrastructure choices that are made at the federal, the state, and the local level really can strengthen communities, create pathways to jobs, and really improve the quality of life for every American. And I think the Secretary's own experiences have helped to shape um, the larger DOT Connects, Ladders of Opportunities com components that we offer. We've really been looking at this in kind of three different buckets. The first one being um, that transportation should connect people to opportunity. Second, it's the second largest expense for American households, and it truly does 
make a difference in the way that people are able to access uh, safe, reliable transportation options. The Secretary talks about the fact that when we were building our infrastructure almost 60 years ago through the um, interstate highway, we may have unconsciously divided neighborhoods specifically around racial and income levels. And what that did was really create barriers in which you weren't able to connect to, you know, job centers, higher institutions of education, health centers, and other essential services. And so as it relates to connecting people to opportunity, we really have had a performance-based approach in which we are encouraging local transit agencies, state DOTs, MPOs to measure those connections. We really had focused a very long time in connecting people from point A to point B. And part of the opportunities agenda is really looking at how do we ensure that those connections really do get people to the places that they need to go to. Because if you can't get there, you can't you can't go there. And we don't think about that um, oftentimes, but it is a critical component. And so we've been doing and really focusing uh, uh, our energy and attention on planning policies that would allow us to measure those connections, working closely with the various levels of our grantees and, and, and partners in the conversation. I'd also say second, the other thing that we've really been focusing on is the jobs that are being created through the investments, infrastructure investments that we spend. For every $1 billion in transportation infrastructure, we're able to create um, and support at least 13,000 jobs. And these jobs paved the way for small businesses, disadvantaged women and minority-owned businesses to really ensure that we transform communities locally. One of the things that we've been super proud of is our local hire um, initiative that really has been looking at getting, getting local residents to be part of the rebuilding of a community. The Secretary has talked about the fact that, you know, we have been a nation that has underinvested, and it's really a time, as we look at the 21st century infrastructure vision, that we have to rebuild. A lot of our highways are about 60-plus years old. I mean, they could qualify for, you know, Medicaid and Medicare at this point if, <laughs> if, if we don't necessarily really focus on rebuilding those areas. And so um, the local hire piece is an opportunity to have residents participate in rebuilding um, and re connecting their neighborhoods, as well as making sure that we're creating and, and, and building opportunities for the next generation and training them accordingly. We've been doing a lot of work with the Department of Labor and, and the Department of Ed and training for the 21st century and addressing a lot of those skills gaps. Uh, our, 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 our labor market is aging out uh, with the baby boomers retiring, and there's a huge opportunity to make sure that the next generation is prepared to help invest in their community. And then finally, um, that transportation revitalizes communities. That you know, our infrastructure uh, really has an has an opportunity to transform neighborhoods in a very impactful way when we think about land use and transportation decisions together. And I think that that's one of the things that we hadn't done for a very long time. When you think about transit-oriented development and some of the other um, programs that have now come out, we really recognize the importance of making those decisions holistically and really thinking about how everything connects together. And that if we make the right infrastructure choices and the land use conversation around affordable housing and other inclusionary zoning aspects, we can make sure that we can make a place better collectively together.
I would just also add that I think to your question about how folks have received the the opportunities agenda and the importance that transportation plays, I think it's been so powerful to hear the stories of people talking about their local communities and in, in ways in which um, the highway system may have really impacted their neighborhoods dramatically and the limited access that was created by those those choices. Um, but we've also heard how excited people have been to have a secretary talk about the importance of us making sure that as we build, rebuild, we build better for all. And it's an exciting time. We've briefed um, various caucuses, such as the Congressional Black Caucus and Hispanic Caucus, but also many members in which we're doing some innovative things like Ladder Step, um, the transportation empowerment pilot that is doing work in seven cities across the country, cities like Baltimore, Baton Rouge, Phoenix, Indianapolis, helping to support local mayors advance game-changing transportation projects. Um, I'd also just add, we 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 safety rem remains our biggest cultural piece. Um, and an institutionalized factor of the things that we do at the department. And so we've, we've done challenges like the mayor's challenge for safer people and safer streets where we're walking our division administrators and our field staff are walking with state um, commissioners and mayors to do walk assessments and really figure out how we do this work together because it's something that's not going to happen in Washington. It, ha it has to happen locally. Yeah, no, I think that's true, and I, you know, I've I've worked on transportation issues for a long time now, and I think you know we joke that transportation is just filled with acronyms, and it's a very technical industry, and I think you know we sometimes use that as, as um, yet another barrier for people to engage, but when you peel that away, transportation really is about these individual stories, whether it's the person or the community or the the local business owner. So so those are great examples and also I'm reminded as you're chatting there Stephanie um, you know I think a, a hallmark of this administration has been the unprecedented coordination across agencies around place-based initiatives such as you know ladders of step and ladders of opportunity sustainable communities some of the resiliency work and many APA members were, were really closely involved with those efforts particularly at the local and regional level and I know um, for regional planners, the Partnership for Sustainable Communities uh, is something that um, many of us were, were working to try to support and, and preserve funding for. Um, so I'm wondering, could, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what's the status of these cross-agency efforts and, and what can we be doing to ensure that they'll continue in the next administration, you know, regardless of who's in the White House? Yeah, so I would say another... Um, piece that we really have been focusing on is really making sure that we can figure out how the federal government can help local communities really thrive. And that's through the work of our um, sustainable communities piece, our SE2 Strong, Strong, Strong City, Strong Communities work. Um, and, and what one of the hallmark pieces, as you talked about, is really being able to coordinate um, the visions locally and bringing together our various regional teams to turn local plans into reality. I think one of the things that um, the Sustainable Communities Grant offered was a plan um, for local communities to really advance together about the future of their 
city and what they wanted it to look mm-hmm. like. I think that that work really helped to support many of the, the, the next iterations that we've seen. We have about um, over 18 different place-based initiatives with various agencies doing different work where we've in- invested several billions of dollars into local communities. And one of the things that we have been able to learn is how to coordinate uh, at the federal level and also regionally. And that coordination has really been a critical component. And so um, the next iteration to answer your question is something called community solutions, in which we can really take this interagency collaboration to the next level and making sure that even after this administration is gone, HUD and DOT and EPA and you know the Department of Commerce through EDA and many other agencies and sister agencies could still coordinate locally. And why is this important? It's important because we often don't realize when we're in our silos that locally someone who is trying to figure out how to transform their community doesn't know the difference oftentimes between what transportation is doing versus what HUD is doing. They just need answers. And I think the other piece that has allowed us to see the importance of this is through incidents like Katrina like Sandy, in which it requires a full federal response to helping to really transform a community. It cannot just be done by HUD, by the Department of Transportation, even by USDA and some of these rural communities. It has to be a collective effort. And I hope and I really believe that that is going to be one of the lasting legacies of our administration, which is really being able to continue to work in a very um, holistic way to help support local communities so that the federal money that we receive can really help to transform local communities directly with their own vision, not a federal vision, but their local their local vision of being able to transform their community. And and so with that, Stephanie, like how how can a local planner or you know, uh, somebody working locally, maybe a developer or a community member um, if they have an idea or if they're running into a roadblock um, dealing with the federal government, I'm, I'm just curious, kind of through this community solutions effort that you mentioned, how could someone tap into that or, you know, find out or engage um, with their regional or, or other federal offices? Is there some way that they can find out who they could connect with? Yeah, so one of the things that the Community Solutions team is doing is training in each agency a liaison who will both work in in specific cities, but also at headquarters there can be a point of contact to help to mobilize or help to navigate or offer concierge services to local communities that are trying to navigate their way. The hope and vision is that you will be able to um, call uh, the center and have various liaisons in the in the different agencies help to support um, any issue that someone at DOT, while may not necessarily be familiar with all of the HUD programs, could still be able to call their field office director and get the support that a local city needs. And I think as it relates to how you connect to these resources and how folks can continue to support, 
we are still working out the details on how the actual implementation will be, but there is a task force coming together to make sure that this is institutionalized. And I think one of the things that we definitely continue to need support on is educating your members and your local leaders about, one, the opportunities that are available, but also encouraging the support and funding for programs and projects like this. I think you could speak firsthand about what um, what the Sustainable Communities Grant offered to local communities in a very different way than we could ever at headquarters. And I think to the extent that people continue to talk about the importance of having that level of collaboration and educate their members in that conversation, we can ensure that everyone is able to experience these benefits. That's great. Well, and, and I, I know, um, and uh, I was actually even just looking right now, when uh, we launched the Partnership for Sustainable Communities, one of the things we did at HUD, uh, and I know DOT and EPA did as well, was to create a local sustainability officer so folks could um, have a point of contact to connect with. And I see that sustainablecommunities.gov still has a, a portal here for under the tab in your community where if folks need to find out, you know, kind of someone that you could contact and, and um, at least begin this conversation that Stephanie you're talking about, uh, I see that there still is here up live on the web um, phone numbers and, and points of contact, the individual's name that you can reach uh, at these different agencies. So it's great to see that that is still there available as a resource um, for folks. So um, I'd like to turn, uh, you know, I, I no planners, many of us, um, we're a little geeky, but we get very excited about uh, the long-range metropolitan transportation planning process. And um, I think, you know, what's also just interesting for me uh, working at the regional level is it's one of the few places where we actually do have a clearly articulated federal role and a set of requirements. Um, so that this metropolitan long-range transportation planning process is somewhat unique, and it offers a powerful platform for regions to consider transportation's broader impacts, many of which you were just talking about. Um, but we also know that, you know, for many different MPOs, um, they're often limited in their scope or the capacity to really be able to perhaps seize on some of those different um, leverage points that exist in the federal regulations. So. Uh, I know this is also something you've been thinking about and talking with, you know, folks um, who work with regional planning, who work with metropolitan planning organizations, uh, lots of different stakeholders. Um, maybe you can just remind us about what are some of the the current levers under Map 21 and FAST, the FAST Act legislation um, that we can really tap into if we're trying to more fully utilize these regional planning levers. And, you know, if you and Secretary Fox have ideas for how to further improve um, or empower MPOs in this process, would, would love to hear what you've been thinking about that because I know um, there is a lot that's happening around uh, the, the metropolitan um, planning process. Yeah, I think that's one of the most underutilized but most powerful tools that happen locally every single day. And I think the role that the MPOs play can truly help to support the regional and local visions of communities. Uh, Secretary Fox last fall, uh, last year, really uh, launched 
a larger conversation around beyond traffic, the vision, the larger vision for our country in 2045, and really thinking about the next 30 years. In every city, there has to be a long-range, there, there is a, a, a long-range plan or a planning document that helps to set the vision. But nationally, we don't necessarily have that. And so beyond traffic was his way of really making sure that we could really identify and think for the future for that 21st century transportation system, what it would look like. And there were five emerging trends that came out of that conversation that essentially talked about the future of where we're going. And it was essentially how we're going to move, how we're going to move things, how we're going to move better, and how will we adapt? How are we going to align our decisions and dollars? And a lot of those things really came back to the local conversation. We're really seeing a shift in terms of mega regions where there are about 11 different areas that link transportation, economics, and other factors. And they represent over 75% of our population Mm -hmm. and employment. And so we really, uh, here at the department, have really started to have a conversation about how do we make sure that there is this regional conversation happening and that we are really thinking about the longer vision of how we can collectively as a nation move forward together. And I think as at the MPO level, that is really the, 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 the middle ground between the state and a local community to help set their vision of where they'd like to see things happening. And so one of the things that will be coming out over the next couple of weeks is really looking at how we empower MPOs to be able to have um, a full seat at the table and have the conversations to support transformational changes. And I think that that I think that that actually occurs by the boards that they set, the people who participate in the conversations. You know, it's funny as we go out and we talk about things like MPOs, people are like, who, what, what does mm-hmm, that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the importance of the role that they play is too important for us not to have a conversation and not inform people about how important it is. And I would say even to some of the elected officials who serve on MPOs, I'm not sure that they fully understand the value that they truly, not just their value, but the power that they have at that level. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, the federal, the Department of Transportation is a federal regulatory agency, but it is at the state, at the MPO, and at the local level that real decisions happen. And the money happens and is given to the states and to the MPOs to really make those changes that need to happen. And so unless you're at the table, you can't be part of the conversation. And the secretary really wants to make sure that local community residents understand their power through the planning process, wants to make sure that local officials understand the true, um, the true power that they have to make transformational changes and strengthen MPOs and make sure that they can work collectively and hand-in-hand with the state to support the larger and broader visions for the region. Yeah, I, I think you're touching on such an important point. Um, I know in a lot of the work that I have done with different MPOs and, and regional planning agencies, I think this issue of you know really embracing and trying to foster your relevance in a region, because the, the thing that is unique is that the federal transportation law is requiring there to be these regional tables. 
And I think, you know, in, in some regions we see that the MPO process and long-range transportation planning process or the, the transportation improvement um, project process is also kind of the stapling exercise, people like to say. But I think really seizing on how do you leverage that unique asset, which is a regional table, and how do you um, build on the different planning factors. Um, we were last together, Stephanie, in Phoenix, Arizona for the APA annual conference. And, you know, it was amazing to me to hear from the folks at MEG, the Maricopa Association of Governments, where I think they're a great example of seizing on the opportunity for the MPO to really be regionally relevant through some of the work that they're doing, um, you know, recognizing their role as an MPO in all the data that they're collecting at that regional scale and not just stopping to collect the transportation data, but collecting the data on economic development, employment, on education. I thought that was a great uh, example they were sharing about, you know, they can be this conduit to connect up all this information and, and make it easy for the public to access and utilize. So um, I think lots more to happen around uh, the Metropolitan Table. Um, and I'll make a shameless plug for the innovative MPO book that I was really pleased to work with Transportation for America, and they released um, oh, about a year and a half ago now uh, that I, I know is also a good resource for folks who are wanting to find out who's doing what kinds of innovative things at the MPO level. And I would say the, the piece about the MPO that's also powerful is being able to measure um, the conversation around equity to measure how your system is really working. It's great that you have transit service, but if it's not connecting people to where they need to go to, then is it really doing the role that it's supposed to? And I think um, even a conversation about how to reach kind of the non-traditional stakeholders is definitely another area. I think the performance measures that MAP21 offered really focused on how do we make sure that our dollars and our decisions align for what that local community is looking for and how do we make sure that maybe we do make the tough decisions in empowering the MPOs um, by, by, by having them be a funding source um, in, in, in local communities accordingly. And I, it, it's, really, it's really great to hear how, I think, like the Baltimore Metropolitan Council is looking at broader than just transportation, the housing conversation and the economic development piece that you've been raising. I think that there are many MPOs that have been doing a fantastic job at that. And to the extent that we can bring them all together in a room and share those best practices, I think that it definitely will make sure that many communities can also thrive. I think that's a, a great reminder of really thinking about the power of the performance measures. And I think, you know, I will say I, I was excited that we saw in MAP21 the introduction of some national performance standards. Um, I personally think they're a little too limiting in only looking at things like congestion or safety. Um, but I, I think, and I know I've heard you and the secretary say, they're also not the ceiling, they're a floor. And I, I think your points about how MPOs and state DOTs are bringing in the community to really address and develop a fuller set of performance measures, including those that really are looking at these issues of equity. And I you know, have seen in this administration really a strong focus around environmental justice and Title VI. And so, you know, again, I hope folks who are listening think about how 
we can package all these pieces together because there isn't anything limiting that. Um, but, you know, we really want to think about, again, kind of going beyond just sort of the bare minimum in some of these, these performance work. And I think, you know, as you're mentioning, there's lots of emerging examples of that, bringing in health, bringing in equity, bringing in a lot of factors. And I, and I hope also that, um, you know, people can start doing some of this innovation so that the federal Sometimes we can be very re responsive or reactive um, at the federal level. And so to the extent that folks are really thinking about these, the tools that they want to measure locally, it will ensure that the next reauthorization really has a more robust piece of performance measures. And, and, I, and, and that, that's definitely one of the things that I want to emphasize in terms of the notion of a floor and not a ceiling. That we can really do a lot more, especially because we are already having to measure um, many different aspects of it, continuing to collect the data and make sure that the transportation network works for all residents in the community is a critical aspect. We had a connectivity summit last spring where we brought together different folks to try to figure out how do you really measure equity? How do you make sure that the health aspects in a community are really being addressed? Um, and even on the resiliency side, for those who are along the shores and in a more vulnerable areas, how do you make sure that we are thinking about all of these things in advance and making sure that our, our, our investment um, really addresses those pieces and that we're not a patchwork nation where we're just filling the potholes, but that we are really making sure that we are, we are making transformational investments. So speaking of transformational investments, um, you know, I mentioned in, in kind of the opening to this, um, the town hall meeting last week on the Every Place uh, Counts Design Challenge. And um, I know that you have traveled to lots of places, Stephanie, and have talked with lots of different stakeholders there in D.C. as well. Um, anything more that we should kind of know about the Every Place Counts uh, initiative in terms of uh, if folks wanted to get more information, we're thinking about applying, what's the deadline for that? Um, and, and I'm curious, you know, just given all the, the folks you've talked to, if there's, you know, any place that really stands out in your mind of, you know, here's a community that really has created some interesting equity measures or really is a great example that embodies kind of the principles behind the Every Place Counts uh, initiative. So I know you're not supposed to choose favorites at the federal level, but, what a lead. Um, no, I think what we're seeing is that Main Street America, MLK Boulevard, everyone is really trying to figure out how to transform their communities and make sure that it works for them. And the Every Place Counts Design Challenge is really an opportunity to raise awareness about the role um, that infrastructure investments really do have um, and its impact that, that, you know, we have in some aspects really limited access to opportunity, but that doesn't have to be our future. As these infrastructures are aging, you know, really coming together with community groups through a community team to identify what could be a potential area of opportunity. The Every Place Counts Design Challenge comes at the um, as part of the helm of the Secretary's larger connecting people to opportunities message and, and really supporting key principles that we want everyone to do when they make um, and build transportation infrastructure projects. 
And those three pieces are that transportation should connect people to opportunity, that while we can't change our past, we can ensure that our current and future transportation projects really connect and strengthen communities, and that transportation facilities should be built by, for, and with communities. Um, and that we really have a real opportunity to do that through this challenge. And so the purpose of the challenge is to encourage communities to reimagine what they can do with a transportation project via either a new innovation or restorative approach um, to address some of these issues that have happened, and then really empower community and decision makers to figure out what they can do together. Unfortunately, we only can choose four cities to do these community um, visioning sessions, but the goal of, of after this, after those visioning sessions, is to really uh, is to really make sure that we have just sparked or ignited a larger conversation that will continue as a nation around how we make sure that our infrastructure really integrates communities. I think that there are many communities that are trying this out. Uh, I will say one of the great things about working for a mayor secretary is that we have not had all the answers, and yet we've gone to local community um, leaders who are willing to take the risk together with us and figure out how we solve this together. Because I don't know that there is um, a – I think that there are examples in which people are trying to get it right um, and have done some really cool things, like the 11th Street Bridge here in D.C., that is looking to connect the Anacostia neighborhood that is bifurcated both by a highway and a physical, um, the water, the river itself, um, to the larger D.C. And um, they've had many different people helping to support that investment um, and really figure out how do we make sure that this infrastructure project, and let me be clear, transportation is not going to change all of the community problems. But if we do it in the right way, it can be a build. It can it can be the foundation to build upon and make other social and economic impacts. And so, you know, the 11th Street Bridge is one of those um, examples in which Lisk recently announced a 50 million dollar investment by what is um, a bridge, literally that will potentially be a park, but will also make sure that it has jobs and they're going to be adding community and. Um, inclusionary zoning as part of it so that these investments don't push out the residents who are currently there and that everyone can benefit from it. Um, I think as it relates to the challenge, the vision and the hope is that it will, the, the right project will have the right people coming together, a state DOT, an MPO, a local mayor, community groups, community leaders to have a conversation about an infrastructure project in which they can really use to spark revitalization and reinvigorate the community. Uh, we are going to have a webinar um, on Wednesday, um, but to not, to not to date this, it will be replayed so that folks can go back and see other examples in which communities are doing this, like in Columbus, but also where people are still trying to figure it out, like in Buffalo. Um, and where examples in the past have helped to set the example, like the Embarcadero. Um, the applications are due June 3rd. We are encouraging folks to register in advance by May 21st. 
20th, I'm, I'm sorry, May 20th, to let us know that they're interested in doing something. We've already received several applications, so we're super excited. Um, and this is really also a peer exchange conversation. Sorry, let me add that piece. Because we don't have all the answers, we want to bring together private engineers, design practitioners to really have this conversation with a local community group together so that regionally we can figure out how we can use our different practice areas to address real issues locally. So while the design challenge and it will be submitted by a community group and a mayor, we're, we also have another aspect to it, which we're seeking volunteers to help figure this out with us. And we'd encourage folks to go to transportation.gov backslash opportunity to get more information, to either be a volunteer and, and help join us in helping to figure this out, or to, to register and be part of the many different cities that we will raise up as examples for how we do this together. Oh, that's great to know, Stephanie. Um, I know APA uh, just recently has revised its AICP um, reaccreditation process, and folks can get credits for doing pro bono work. So um, hopefully that's that perfect. will be something that APA members will look into either to apply or to, to volunteer. So um, we're, we're at the final end here, but I can't help, um, I can't resist. Uh, asking, you know, we're in the final six months as well of the administration, and you have described a ton of stuff, uh, various initiatives um, that have looked at, you know, how we think about counting traffic, how we're designing communities, how walkable places are, local hiring, just kind of the full gamut. Um, but there's still six months left, and I know that neither you uh, nor the secretary rest easy. So, um any, any kind of uh, sneak peeks or, or thoughts on kind of what remain of some of the key things um, to, to take on here in the final six months and, uh, or final thoughts you might have about how we um, as planners can work to ensure that equity remains a focus in the work that USDOT does going forward? Yeah, so while I have a pretty cool job, I will say there's nothing cooler than being able to develop plans that hopefully can turn into reality. And so I think the APA members and their different roles and, 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 and positions locally have the greatest job. And we really want to encourage um, all of the members to figure out how they can get more involved, um, not just in the city that they work for, but as a larger group of practitioners to share some of these best practices that are happening across the country. I have the privilege of highlighting them, but you're, the members, the APA members, have the privilege of working on these things every single day. Um, and sometimes it feels discouraging um, after going to a zoning board or a planning board meeting um, and, and really kind of having to push folks to have such bold visions. But when you see the things that happen, the real transformations that happen afterwards, it makes the fight so much better. Um, and I would say while we have six months, it means that we still have six months. And it means that we still have more work to do. And the Secretary is not shy on reminding any of, the, any of us here at the department how much uh, we still have to push through 
the rest of this administration to do everything that we can to make sure that transportation really does connect people to opportunity. During the town hall, he talked about the fact that we will be having a Citizens Academy really giving a transportation 101 version um, to local leaders on around how we how they can become part of the process. I think, you know, we still have a lot more to do on supporting um, MPOs. And there's nothing like having state partners in this conversation. And so we look forward to continuing to work with them. I will close out by saying that the Secretary has been very clear that while Ladders of Opportunity has produced a lot of different initiatives and funding opportunities to local communities, this is not a program that ends with this administration. This is a mindset. It's a mindset about making sure that the work that we do has a transformational impact to local people. This is about the things that we do in transforming communities. And to the extent that you all can continue to make sure that that work happens every single day and share it with your peers, you too will continue to build the rungs of opportunity. And that is the most important thing that I hope that you take away from this, that you all sign the pledge and making sure that the work that you do will connect people to opportunity, that you help to spread the word about the design challenge, become a volunteer, make sure that your city or community registers in the conversation, and ensure that you look at who's missing from the table and invite them to the conversation, because we can't do this alone. And locally, you can't do it alone. But collectively, we can make sure that we have a transportation infrastructure, a 21st century infrastructure that provides opportunity for all. So thanks, Maria. Yeah, thank you so much, Stephanie, um, both for sharing your time with me uh, over the last hour, but also, um, you know, all the work that you and the Secretary are doing, uh, so appreciated and really is, is really powerful to um, enabling communities to have these important conversations that, that I know folks are wanting to have, and, and having that leadership and that support at the federal level is really great. So. Um, also, just to remind folks, it is Infrastructure Week, and we hope that actually it's Infrastructure Month, Transportation Month, all month for APA. Um, and so APA's blog is having lots of late-breaking news from USDOT and deep dives on ongoing federal transportation initiatives, as well as member spotlights to share yes. how planners are changing how people are moving from point A to point B. So check out APA's blog, and thanks for listening to us. No problem. Thanks again, Maria. And again, I just want to thank our, our, our team every day in the regions and your team for making sure that we connect people to opportunities.